The Braves survive the series of the season. These were electric playoff games for sure. It's the first time I've seen it sold out here and it gets wild. From the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, this is the Braves Report presented by Kroger, the podcast that takes you inside the clubhouse and gives you the stories behind the score. I'm Jay Black with our AJC Braves beat reporter Justin Toscano in Cincinnati and the Braves are the first team in the National League with 50 wins, but uh, Justin, the last three games were kind of intense. Yeah. Oh my God. I mean, we said it in April for a couple series. We always say it when they play the Mets or the Phillies, but this truly was more wild than a series you would expect in late June. It was, um, I, I'm with the players in Snit, man. I'm exhausted. I like the line that Blooper had the saying, that was fun, Cincinnati. Let's not do it again. <laughs> yeah, yeah Snit, Snit said after the game, well, you know, he ends his answer and he goes, God, I'm glad we don't we don't see him again. Everybody, uh, everybody around the press box was joking. Oh, you know, see you in October. But you know, is it that that Reds team looked pretty good, man? That felt like three high level baseball games. And geez, I mean, you're splitting hairs and going through the fine tooth comb to to find you know things on each side that could have won the game, could have lost the game. It was uh, those were three high quality baseball games. And if if you're a baseball fan here, man, you you might have not gotten the money's worth like you did this weekend since, what, 2012 probably? Yeah, and we'll uh, go ahead and dig into just how the Braves handled these three one-run games against the Reds and how they may stack up in the future. We'll also go behind the Braves' red-hot lineup and see why it's back at full strength. Later, we've got some all-star talk. And who can speak the magic words to Spencer Strider to get him back on track? Plus, we've got all the answers to all your questions in the Ask Justin segment. This is your first time listening to us. We're happy to have you, and make sure you follow us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. This is the Braves Report from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, presented by Kroger. We are officially into summertime. The days are long, the pool is cool, and the grill is hot. And we've got your Independence Day needs coming up, too. So if you are responsible for the burgers, the dogs, and the fun, head to your local Kroger store, which is your grilling go-to source. Get all your burgers, dogs, ribs, and steaks in one stop, plus any of the grilling tools you need and the $9 s'mores bundle. So check out the deals at Kroger.com or head to your local Kroger store today. All right, Manager Brian Snicker, what do you think of all that? Yeah, I don't know if I've ever been this exhausted after a series before. Man, have something else. I, I tell you what, fans got their money's worth in this series, that's for sure. They saw some great baseball, exciting, the whole thing. Um, now that, that's a, wow, you know. What's it say good, to Good series win. Yeah. And, Justin, I think I owe our Braves Report listeners an apology. Last week in the Next Up segment that we do, we, we spent all of our time focusing on that series in Philadelphia. Apparently that was not the key series of the week. That feels like it was a week ago, and it felt like the Phillies were a feeble baseball team compared to the Reds. And I say that rather, you know, in an exaggerating fashion, just because the Reds, they've been hot, man. And uh, they swung it well. They battled. There are, you know, three, four really good rookies on that team. Remind you of anybody about five years ago? Uh, Yes, we've seen this before. Yeah. Yeah, they were really, really good. The Phillies are a good team. They'd come in winning six in a row, and like the Braves, 13 in the last 15, Braves won two there. Third was rained out. And then this Cincy series, man, this was – was this the best series of the season? I think it might have been. We're forgetting – what was – I'm trying to think. I mean, 
I guess for the Braves themselves. Well, the last Red series was all three one-run games. Yeah, so six one-run games against the Reds this year. That Mets series at Truist Park was very good and very exciting. Jeez, I mean, this one, if you would have told me that the series against the Reds would be like this, and you said that to me back in February, back in January, I probably would have laughed at you, but it was. I mean, people here were saying, you know, in Cincinnati, who covered the Reds, were saying this was the most highly anticipated regular season series since 2010 because of Ellie De La Cruz, because the Braves are coming in, because the anticipated sellouts, because the youth movement here in Cincinnati. And let me tell you what, it lived up to the billing. You know, you watch the Reds for three games in that series against what I think is baseball's best team, the Braves, and baseball's best roster, even if it's not at full strength right now. The Reds held their own, and I think they held their own without Nick Lodolo and without Hunter Green. The pitching staff could be improved. But I think this is a really fun Reds team to watch because do they have holes? Like, sure, especially on the pitching staff. But I don't think they expected to play like this, this early, you know, into the the final stages of the rebuild. It's a really fun team, man. And they fight. Like, they reminded me a lot of the Braves and that it seems like they just keep coming after you. Like, they do not give away at bats. And it's cliche. I don't know how to quantify it. I, I don't know how to give any shining example of it but it just felt like every time you thought the Braves had the Reds kind of knocked out stamped out crushed they just keep coming at you I mean they're not really it's like Joey Votto said this about the Braves a couple nights ago he said man they put the pressure on us late this was after the Braves lost uh, that Friday game he goes they're not impressed they keep coming at you they don't stop and that's exactly what the Reds do the Reds you look at the Reds and the Braves, I watched the Reds, they remind me a lot of the Braves with that quality, is that they just do not stop. To kind of illustrate how unlikely we are having this conversation in, in June, the Reds had four home games already this season where their attendance was less than 10,000. Yeah, and then this three-game series, over 120,000 through the turnstiles. Three straight sellouts, first time in a long time. Here's Charlie Morton summing up what it's like to pitch in that band box and in that atmosphere. I mean, it's a weird place to play because, yeah. I mean, there's some, I don't know, there's just, it's just weird. You know, there, it's always been weird. Charlie Morton leads the league in um, words used per answer. And it's not often he only needs one word, and he used it many times. Weird. It is. It just feels like anything can happen. A lead's never safe. Feels like pop-ups or home runs, and it feels like the ball carries. It just, it is a weird place. It's small, you know, band box, small dimensions. It really, really feels like the Braves would would have a Coors Field advantage if they played their home games there, because they really, really hit well there, as do most teams. But it's strange. And then this weekend, you added in the crowd, and the Reds in their 12-game winning streak, and the Reds... <laughs> And those superstars, Ellie De La Cruz, well, I should say superstar, Ellie De La Cruz looks like he's going to be one. But they're young, you know, guys that they hope become stars. You add all those ingredients together, and it's a mix for a really rough weekend if you're the road team coming in here. And I think that's the test of a, you know, kind of test of a good team is can you fight through all that stuff? Can that not be a factor? Can you just flex your muscles? And I think in this series, the Braves did that. This might be 
I know the Reds aren't expected to win the World Series, but this might be the most impressive series win to date for the Braves. And I'm trying not to have any recency bias. But the reason I say that is because there was so much going on. But at the end of the day, the Braves just played their ball. They didn't really let the crowd get to them. They, you know, didn't let the atmosphere get to them. Uh, We've seen it a lot where, you know, visiting teams have a tough time at Truist Park or, you know, they leave there feeling like things just got out of hand and emotions got out of hand. The Braves kept playing Braves baseball. Like this was Braves baseball. They hit a lot of home runs. They worked a lot at bats. Um, The bats have been much better, as we will talk about later in this podcast. And they come out with a series win when all the ingredients pointed to it being a tough time for the road team, whoever it might have been this weekend. It happened to be the Braves, and they took two or three. That was really, really good. The Reds are an up-and-coming team, but the Braves are established, uh, and they just proved it again, not that they needed anything to prove. A little more from Charlie Morton on kind of that mentality, and did they have anything they had to prove? I don't think that anybody was really thinking that we had to prove ourselves more just try to keep playing good baseball so obviously it's great the Braves got two or three the bats didn't slow down at all do you take anything out of what was not exactly the best performance from from most of the pitchers or do you just throw out that out of the book and just say it's Cincinnati back home to Atlanta a little bit of both. The Braves need Kyle Wright and, and Max Fried back. You know, not not soon. They're 50 and 27. This is going well. I think they're six games up on the second place Marlins. But eventually they're going to need those two guys back. And, you know, at least one of them. I think it showed, hey, A.J. smith Shavers, you know, got room to grow. We knew that. No, Nobody's surprised. Jared Schuster, again, didn't have a lot of swing and miss. You know, it's going to be a rough time if if he doesn't develop some, but he's learning. He's young. We knew that. These were two guys who were never expected to contribute this year to the level that they have. So I, I think it's a little bit of both, Jay. Like, I think realistically, you can look at this with two starting pitchers and then the bullpen. Like, you know, it, it, Rysel Iglesias, two home runs. Okay, it's a bandbox. He's pitched there before. He knows that. You look at, you know, Nick Anderson at the home run today. It just... It always seemed to get hairy. I mean, Michael Tonkin was a star on Saturday. Colin McHugh did not pitch well on Friday. Neither did Ben Heller. I think it's a little bit of both, but I think I'm leaning toward the side of you mostly throw it out because this is a bullpen that had been much better of late, is still top 10 in bullpen ERA despite all that's happened. At least they were heading into Sunday's series finale. And I think what makes me be a little easier on the starting pitching is this. One, they've been terrific for the most part all year, given the circumstances. And two, contextually, Jared Schuster and, you know, well, maybe not him, but A.J. Smith-Shaver was never expected to contribute to this level. Jared Schuster, you know, nobody really expected him to be in the rotation this long. I think there are a lot of things the Braves had to withstand to get to this point. And, hey, it's not like these guys have six ERAs. They're doing a fine job, especially given that the offense is so powerful, is so dangerous. I think you throw it out a little bit. And that sounds like a very Homer thing to say. Trust me, we will criticize the Braves when they deserve it. But I do think, sure, does the pitching worry you? The starting pitching, is it sustainable? You know, is this the rotation you would like to go into the postseason with? No, absolutely not. But they're they're 50 and 27. The pitching is doing a good enough job to win games. The bullpen has looked better of late, you know, save for this series. But this was also, as I said, a Reds team that was swinging it well, 
in a band box, you know, tough crowds each night, you know, great atmosphere. And the Reds, Jay, to put that in perspective, that 12-game winning streak was one off what would have been a modern era record. They did it once in the 30s, once in the 50s, and now in 2023, but they haven't gotten to 13 games. Um, the Braves denied them that. But it just goes to show how good this Reds team has been for that historical context. The bottom line, Braves have a six-game lead over the Marlins. They have a 10-game lead over the Phillies, and they have a 15-game <clears throat> lead over the Mets. Who's going to be the better team by the end of the season, the Reds or the Phillies, who basically have the same record at this point? You know, I think the mm, – you know when the team a team makes you believe? There's always that point in the season. I think I saw enough from the Reds this time around to be like, you know what, this team's better than the Brewers. You know what? This team can handle itself. I think, you know what? I'm going to go out on a limb and bold prediction. I think the Reds end up being better. I think the Phillies have so much talent, but I think the Reds have that fight. Like, I, I really like the makeup I see from the Reds where they just never seem to be out of it. They're winning close games. Here's what's unsustainable and might make me look dumb two months from now. The starting pitching. If they don't get Hunter Green and Nick Lodolo back, it's going to be a rough time just because... Graham Ashcraft, this series was not good. Luke Weaver was not good and has not been good. I, I just think the Reds, they, they don't have the starting pitching. And I don't know that they're going to go out at the deadline and be buyers just because it seems like their rebuild has been a, just a bit accelerated. I don't think they expected it to happen this quickly, though. I don't know. I don't cover them. Haven't talked to the front office. Don't know. But I'm more inclined to think that there's something special going on here, whereas it seems like the Phillies, you know, they fight. They battle, they're good, but it seems like the same old Phillies. Like it doesn't seem like anything has changed since that last. Like they, there's still some miscues. The bullpen's still the Phillies bullpen. I'm gonna go out on a limb and say the Reds. And I think, do I think that's kind of dumb of me? Sure, but this is a fun podcast. We have some fun. I need to be bold sometimes. I'm gonna go bold and say that the Reds have a better record at season's end. I, I think they continue this. And what what helps me believe that is they play in the Central. And that is that is definitely not the best division in baseball. But what is baseball's best right now, or at least the National League, is the Braves' offense. And earlier this week, uh, you can find it on AJC.com slash Braves. Justin, you took a long look at why this Atlanta offense has been on fire. And Snit talked about it a little bit again on Saturday about why things are different. We've grown and we've added to that because we're not striking out like we did before. Usually it was a homer strikeout. Now we're having better at bats. I think with the advent of of the shift going away, we're hitting more singles. Um, You know, and I I don't know if that's a correlation with the guys hitting. You'd have to ask them, you know, that they feel like they can get a base hit now. Before they had to get the thing in the air, they weren't going to get a base hit where everybody was playing. Um, but we've had really, you know, better at bats, which I think comes with maturity with these guys. And, and um, I think we're, you know, we've morphed into a more complete offensive team. So, Justin, you went right to the source, Braves hitting coach Kevin Seitzer to find out why they are a more complete offense. One of the things I addressed, I don't know, in Detroit, I guess it was, was just our average, batting average with runners in scoring position wasn't no good. You know, I, I just challenged the whole team to just think about just get a base hit when you've got men in scoring position and not trying to do damage. You know, we just need a hit to score a run. We don't need a big ball to score a run. So the simple message there? I told him it's, it's, it's not anything more than just trying to do a little too much. And, and the way you combat that is you just focus on a single and 
instead of damage. And, you know, we got a runner on third less than two outs and the infield's back. I mean, a ground ball gets us a point. And, and so it's just a matter of hitting according to the situation, but just more trying to stay within yourself and not do too much. I know big league hitting coaches can get as technical as anybody ever, but sometimes it's just that simple. Yeah, no, for sure. I think sometimes it's just a little reminder. And I think these guys, Kevin Seitz was a guy who played Major League Baseball. He knows what it entails. He understands the grind. And I think he has, these guys have enough understanding of who he is and what he's about to know like, hey, he's not trying to put any pressure, extra pressure on them. He, you know, he's trying to lighten the load a little bit, but give them direction, give them support. That's what he needs to be. He doesn't feel like he needs to be an extra source of pressure, an extra source of negativity, anything extra, just direction, help, and support. And I think sometimes, yeah, he like he threw out the numbers in front of them and they hadn't been, you know, hadn't been very good this year. And that's a category in which, and Jay, we've talked about this last year and referenced the years before when we did talk about it. Runners in scoring position, that's an area in which the Braves have dominated over the last few years. And in top five, both the last two years, uh, I believe, you know, first or second, uh, one of those years, that's an area where they've just been so deadly is situational hitting. They're incredible. And for as good of hitters as they have, that makes them even better. So imagine how good the Braves had to be to be, you know, to have 50 wins right now and to lead the division like they do and have the most wins in the National League and do it all while they really, you know, before that talk, before Detroit, they were bottom third in the league and, you know, their numbers with runners in scoring position. They just hadn't been great. So this is a really great offense that, I think is getting a lift because the bats have just been way better. Eddie Rosario is walking a lot, which is something that people don't expect to see. Ozzy Albies, especially from the left side, has controlled the strike zone phenomenally. You're seeing it up and down the lineup where it used to be a lot of swing and miss last year, right? Like we would talk about it on this podcast and we would say, geez, I mean, I, I feel like I recited it so many times because we talked about it so many times. And we would say, we would sit here and we would say, well, you know, yeah, they strike out a lot, but the home runs are pretty good. So you live with it, whatever. This year, they've cut down on the strikeouts. When I wrote that story, their strikeout rate was better. Their walk rate was better. Now they were bottom, you know, they were bottom third last year in strikeout rate. They actually had the second most strikeouts of any team last year. And this year, they've they've walked more. They've struck out way less. And there's some more bat to ball in there. And, you know, Snit just thinks that's from, you know, the maturity of the guys. Another year older, we do, I guess we do tend to forget that these are young guys. Ozzy Albies is a young guy. Ronald Acuna is a young guy. Ronald Acuna, by the way, his strikeout rate is about 8% lower, I think, than it, than it was last year. I mean, that's a good example. Oz is a good example. Eddie Rosario is a good example. Whatever it may be, I think this, Jay, more than anything, has provided another dynamic to the Braves because I think other teams used to, you know, if you're another team, you probably used to hope, okay, maybe this is one of the, those games where those guys strike out 11 or 12 times. Maybe, you know, we can take them out of it like that. Now, if they're working you too more than they ever have, you know, contact-wise, and they're hitting home runs, I, I really don't know where you get a break if you're an opponent. The Braves, believe it or not, are first in baseball in OPS. They're first in baseball in slugging. They are tied for first in on-base percentage. They are second by one point in batting average, and they are 23rd in straight fewest strikeouts. So they are among the team that strikes out the fewest in baseball. 
Last time the Braves were hitting 271. Last time they hit over 270 in a single season, 2008. Wow. Hey, that's really good. I, I, that speaks to it, right? Like in this era, we've always heard like the launch angle era and Homer strikeout, like two outcomes and this, that, and the other thing. The best power hitting team in baseball, also having the second best batting average, is a little bit is a little bit unfair. And I think if we want to take the raw numbers, this was crazy to me. The Braves entered Sunday with 15 more homers than anybody else, and the Rays, who were second on that list and had 15 fewer homers than the Braves, had played four more games than the Braves. Yeah, like it, it doesn't make any sense, and it almost. This all boils down to this is a team that should win the World Series, that has the capability to win the World Series. Like all the ingredients are there. There's a lot of season left. A lot of things can happen. Yes, these guys will get on a cold snap or two. Like it's just going to happen, like it did at the end of May into early June. Like it's going to happen. But all of this underscores like this is the team we expected them to be, right? And I think that's what Braves fans, you can hang your hat on that. You talked about the Mets. Jay, the Mets blew a three-run lead today, and I think the Phillies sure only did. had two hits in that rally. <laughs> it was HVPs and an error and walks, and the Phillies won that game. The Mets, Jay, the Mets are, you read it out, right? Like, they're 15 games back. They are 15 games back with the highest payroll in baseball history, right? I'm trying to think of more examples. Like, the Phillies took a little to get going. They're fine now. The Brewers are three games over 500, whatever. The Dodgers, you know, had struggled. The Padres, with the, you know, the third highest payroll in baseball, are four games under 500 with all those stars. The point being, in baseball, things, there is a big opportunity for things to go wrong. The Braves are inexplicably good, but let's be honest, this is the team we expected them to be. Maybe not to this degree, but. They are living up to their potential and justifying every one, every bit of the expectations put upon them, which is very, very impressive. And uh, Brian Snicker today said, man, this is, you know, this team here in Cincinnati, it's going to be a fun summer. It's going to be a fun summer in Atlanta. And coming up, it's time for some all-star talk this summer and more on the most no-brainer pick in the history of the world going to Seattle. And we'll also talk about maybe the guy you least expected back in April. This is the Braves Report from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, presented by Kroger. When you're looking for leading cardiac treatment, look to Northside Hospital Heart Institute. We lead with five emergency cardiac care centers, so we're here when you need us most. We lead with more than 55 locations in Georgia. That means we're always in the heart of your neighborhood. We lead with clarity, because clear direction is better when it comes to understanding every step of your treatment. Northside Hospital Heart Institute. We lead with heart. In Atlanta, one voice has stood out for over four decades. An AJC original, The Monica Pearson Show. Let's talk about how you got to ESPN. Revealing interviews. You are known as America's doctor, but I want to know who you were before that. When you have a different name, you have different color skin, it can be tough. With Atlanta's most famous faces as you've never seen them before. I'm telling my story. This is the American dream. The Monica Pearson Show, streaming now on AJC.com. 
All right, now last week we told you about our new addition to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution's Braves Report newsletter. You get the Braves Report newsletter in your inbox every morning, Monday through Friday, with all the links right there compiled right in front of you of everything that Justin's writing. You can also check out our podcast, too, while we're there, video columns. It's all right there. Now, on Friday, we have this special feature called Braves Dispatch, where Justin gets to make this uh, entire newsletter all his own. And this week, uh, you take a look at what it's like to be an outfielder in Philadelphia. That was really fun. And the backstory to that was I've always wondered, like, what are the nastiest things those guys hear? Like, I, because I just, I mean, imagine if you were going up to, I don't know, recite a speech in front of your entire school, except your entire school was like sitting behind you and like yelling things at you <laughs> while you were trying to focus. Like, I don't, I don't know. Like, that's the closest any of us have ever come to performing because the sports we played growing up and, you know, whatever, like in high school or like intramurals or something. I mean, we didn't have hecklers. And so I, I always found that fascinating. It just so happened that when I this we launched this newsletter and I started trying to execute this story idea that the Braves were in Philly. <laughs> so that made for a fun little, it definitely was fitting. The craziest one that I heard from that was Sam Hilliard's mom. I did not know this. She was Miss Texas once upon a time. Um, okay. So you can imagine the things that Sam Hilliard has heard. <laughs> they from found the, out, from, huh? From the Bleacher Creatures, yes, who, and these days, like, everybody's on Instagram, one, in terms of professional athletes, almost everybody, unless your name is Sean Murphy, uh, and you don't have social media, but two, everybody's just looking stuff up from the seats, like, everybody's got their their phones, like, before, there was just probably no way to know about a lot of stuff, and now it's like, yeah, like, guys hear their their wives' names, and their kids' names, and their, yeah, their family, like, People just know what you posted yesterday. or I, Yeah, it can be something so innocuous. And I don't know. I think it's fascinating. That was fun. And there also were a couple good notes uh, in that newsletter on Ozzy Albies and his left side adjustment and uh, the Yaxel Rios trade, which, um, you know, was certainly interesting. We That actually happened right after we wrapped last week. And I remember us saying, dang, that would have been one to address. So you can get the Braves Report newsletter in your inbox every Monday through Friday. All you have to do is go to AJC.com slash newsletters to sign up if you have not done so and look out for the Braves Dispatch on Friday. All right, now time for a little all-star talk. And this trip to Cincinnati is a reminder of what happened when the Braves saw the Reds there five years ago in the debut of Ron Lacuna. As a big prospect, did you ever feel any pressure to be the superstar you are now? I think I would say yes, and if I said no, I'd probably be lying, simply because whenever you're kind of a highly ranked prospect like that, I think you apply a lot of self-imposed pressure on yourself to perform and to meet those expectations. Um, so yeah, I think I felt some of that pressure to sort of meet those expectations. He has met the expectations, and he has cashed in on all that pressure and all that promise, and now he's the leading vote-getter in the National League, which means through Phase 1 of All-Star Voting, he gets an automatic trip to the game. Yeah, that's good. I kind of laughed right there when you were like, he's met expectations. Yeah, yeah, we'd, we'd say, right? Like, he has met expectations. This is going to be Ronald's fourth time starting in the All-Star game, I believe. And so phase one, it's the top two vote-getters from each position, top six in the outfield. The leading vote-getter from each league receives an automatic starting bid, bypasses phase two. Phase two, you know, it determines the rest of the starters. So Ronald is there. Automatically starting. Shohei Otani for the AL uh, is automatically starting. Ronald got by, you know, a nice chunk, the most votes of any player in Major League Baseball, which Jay, I think, just kind of goes to show his global reach, right? Like how mm -hmm. popular he is outside of Atlanta. Because Braves fans, 
Braves country. It's a vast group, you know, as we know, all 50 states um, and probably some U.S. territories and all around the world. But, you know, Ronald Acuna had probably all of Venezuela behind him. And then baseball fans from other countries who don't even care about the Braves, but they just want to see Ronald. And that would be understandable, too. He's going to be in the All-Star game. Though he did, it didn't. He didn't make it when I asked. He made it sound like he wasn't doing the home run derby this year. We won't hold you to this, but if you had to guess, how many Braves are going to be starting in Seattle? Okay, I'm going to go with. They've had six more four. that have made the cut. Yeah, I'm going to go with four. So I'm going to go with the Cunha, Murphy, Orlando Arcia, and and Matt Olson. You know, I think I think with this late push of you know now Matt Olson's got. After this game, he's tied for the MLB lead and home runs and tied for second and RBIs. I think he edges Freddie Freeman in that phase two voting. I think Olsen's going to start. I think Riley will be, you know, a, a reserve. I think it's th- that third base position is just so tough um, in terms of like the voting. But Orlando Arcia, uh, our Gabe Burns, I bet, you know, when he was going to the, you know, knew he was going to the All-Star game a couple months ago, I don't think he expected to see Orlando Arcia or Bryce Elder. And by the way, because Marcus Stroman gave up some runs today, Bryce Elder's got the best at NLERA. And that's that's a sentence that nobody expected in February, in March, in April, heck, even in May. But here we are late June, and Bryce Elder's got a really good shot to be an all-star now. He's a guy who's put together now like half a season of this. Do you think he's somebody who deserves all-star consideration? Absolutely. Absolutely. He sure does. What he's done, the body of work, he absolutely should get an all-star nod. Uh, you know, I mean, I, that, that means a lot coming from coming from people like that. Um, uh, but that, that's not something I can control. All I can control is going out and, and getting guys out, and that's what I'm going to try to do in five days. That's Bryce, and my favorite Bryce Elder stat now is now he's leading the league in earned run average, but he's got the second highest war of any pitcher coming into Sunday and the tenth highest among all players tied with Freddie Freeman in the National League. I cannot emphasize this enough. This is an incredible story. Like, it's just one, shoot, I think it was one, was it a, it was one Tuesday evening where the Braves just optioned, you know, in spring, the Braves optioned Bryce, Andy, and Anderson, and, you know, yeah, to be honest, like everybody was probably thinking, like, okay, it's between obviously it was between Schuster and Dodd, and those are the two guys that are going to be higher on the organizational ladder. But Bryce got a shot, man. He just hasn't looked back. And I think you can see the growth in terms of I've said this a million times. He knows who he is. And you know, you ask, like, oh, well, how how's he doing this? He doesn't throw 95, doesn't throw 97. The stuff moves, man. Like I've talked to Michael Harris a bunch about this, and even from center field, he's like, you see. The movement on his sinker, you see the swings, like he's got good stuff. And Brian Snicker said that after his, after Elder's Thursday start, it's just incredible. Uh, Not only a guy who is honed in on, yeah, the mechanical side, like, of course, you need that. He's executing pitches when he needs to. And it feels like if he's ever in a jam, it feels like he never, like, it just feels like he's so, like, just never gives in. Like, he just doesn't fold. Like, it feels like he doesn't feel that you know, that trouble, that threat, like he just keeps pitching. And it, it that's the best quality, like fills up the zone. He keeps pitching like he's not out there getting hammered or knocked around like he I mean, he just is really, really good. 
And let's give him, you know, some props too, because like we always put that qualifier. You never want to psychoanalyze guys, but to stay resilient after what must have been, you know, disappointing news to get on the phone from Ben Sustanovich, the Braves, you know, assistant GM for player development, to stay resilient, to stay ready, to keep working, to keep fighting. Obviously, his career wasn't over. Obviously, he still had a lot to play for. But I assume that was probably, you know, news he did not want to receive. And he's really, really you know, whether you say it or not, you know, made the best of that. And he has really completely been one of those guys that you truly can't ask, where would the Braves be without Bryce Elder? And I can say this, they wouldn't have 50 wins, that's for sure. A little more from Travis Darno on what it's like to catch him and how he's gotten here. So in kind of an age where guys are, you know, there's a lot of throwers and a lot of velocity, does Bryce kind of show you that pitching is still pitching? Pitching to me, command is a timeless approach. I think that certain things in this game are very trendy and very cyclical, but if you have fastball command, it'll, it'll work forever. I think people forget the hardest pitch to hit is a well-located fastball, and Bryce proves that, and that's why I think he's so successful. I love that line. Command is timeless. Yep, command is just the most timeless thing in baseball. And man, I mean, he just locates, right? Like Travis is right. This pitching is so complex, but when you boil it down, it is just so simple like that. Like it, like he said, it's just, it's the well-located fastball. Like you, that's just the hardest pitch to hit. Like it, that's the best thing a pitcher can do. Command is timeless. Like, yeah, this version of Bryce Elder, like it doesn't matter if somebody doesn't throw 95 to 97, if they can locate like he does. And if the secondary stuff is there, like, I mean, his sinker's incredible. The slider's been good. His sec- yeah, his secondary stuff is, has obviously been there for him to get to where he is. And I think it's, to me, it's the consistency, man. Like, I know he gave up five runs in a start. I know he gave up four runs in a start. But it's like, it seems like every time he goes out there, he's given him six innings, like six, seven innings. Like, it just every fifth day. And they've really needed that based on where, you know, the rotation has been with a couple injuries. You know, it's going to be, you know, he he's a guy who deserves that spot. All right, now to the different end of the velocity spectrum as we start looking at what's next. The Braves and the Twins and Justin will all come back here uh, on Monday. And Spencer Strider got back on track a little bit this week. So what was the key there? As you were working over the last few weeks, who were a couple of the people that told you something that might have been enlightening to you or helped you particularly? My wife, for one. Um, You know, this is a woman who didn't know how many strikes were in in a strikeout years ago so she's come a long way when she says something about baseball i listen and she did and um so that was helpful and and cranny kind of echoed that message and um you know i think he 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 and i sat down had a good long talk a couple of days ago and that was that was very beneficial and um yeah you know i think everybody wants to help and they want to you know they see things and i i value um input and sometimes too much and so um you know, i like to feel like i have everything at my at my disposal and i can learn from everything that's around me and um, you can get to the paralysis by analysis very quickly. So, um, you know, trying to figure out who you trust and what, what's meaningful and what I can actually take away from things people say is important. But, um, yeah, you know, I mean, like I said, you're going to have bad outings. You're going to have bad stretches. I think it's how you learn from them and how you bounce back that, that matters. What was your wife's message to you? Her message was don't listen to everybody that tells you something. So, um, yeah, and, and that's um, coming from her. That means a lot. So she, she usually knows what she's talking about. Do we give all the props to Maggie, or is there an additional baseball explanation here? Oh, yeah. No, I 
I well, like any straight male knows that honestly, like the women in our lives are usually the most rational and the smartest people in our lives. So I think Maggie deserves a ton of credit. Um, it was interesting. Like I know, you know, Spencer said that he talked to Cranny and, you know, Cranny echoed that too, man. It's like, I just think Spencer is so analytical that <laughs> he really does love, like he wants to know everything that's going on. Like he does. He's so smart. He's just really like, you can tell, man, he's, he's got the brain. He's going to make an incredible pitching coach or manager someday hopefully that's you know far 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 in the future because hopefully he's got a really long career ahead of him i think he does but yeah it's the other end of it right like you can't listen to everything everybody tells you like there's just no way to like there's a lot of people that are going to give you unsolicited advice in this business um and his side of it and, and you just can't listen to that i think yeah like having somebody you know like maggie had a lot to do with it like he said you know she you know when when she talks he listens and he was, yeah, he was, he was giving her the props there. So I think that, uh, you know, for, yeah, whether it's, you know, our, our girlfriends, wives, whatever, for whoever it is for the male that is listening now, I, th I think we all know that usually like the girls and the women in our lives are, are rational. And so, yeah, that, that special girl, or that special woman is going to have something good to say. And, and, you know, yeah, we, we got to give Maggie the props here. I don't think we've ever mentioned her on the podcast, but no, no, this is a first for Maggie. You think she listens? We don't know her personally, so we don't want to come off as, as weird here, but it was cool that Spencer gave her the props. And uh, yeah, man, good on him for listening and, and getting back. And uh, Spencer Strider is actually, Jay, I'll throw this in too, the first pitcher in Major League Baseball history to win the first six games of his career against the Phillies, to win the first six uh -huh. starts against the Phillies since like the 20s, which is unreal. That's a man, I know he had the postseason, but that's a man who dominates the Phillies. Um, and, you know, an ode to Maggie for helping him get there. All right, then Bryce Hill will get the ball on Tuesday against Joe Ryan and Wednesday, A.J. Smith-Schaufer's back on the mound against Kenta Maeda. Then three with the Marlins. Yeah, they're six back in the NL East, but they still have, um, well, two possible aces now and uh, third-best run differential. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, they're, they're a good team. It is going to be another tough series for the Braves. We're not it feels like we're not thinking of it like that just because they had this whirlwind week that was absolutely exhausting, but Braves are going to need to, uh, to be at their best. And, uh, if the last few weeks are any sign that, that they should be. All right. Now time for the ask Justin segment where we answer Braves fans questions on Twitter at Justin C. Toscano. All right. We'll lead off with a gone. How many home runs would the 2023 Braves hit? If great American ballpark was their home park. That is a very good question. Um, and I'm glad. So I went to the, I, on the 2022 stats and the 2022 Braves had 243 home runs. They trailed, let's see, the Yankees by 11. I think in the Yankees playing a band box, I think the 2023 Braves, if they played at Great American Ballpark, would have 270 home runs. Because I just think, yeah, like, you know, doesn't matter if it goes 450, 460. But I think, yeah, the Braves, you know, how many long flyouts do we see at Truist Park? Like, I think if 368, 370 gets you out of there, I think that's a lot more home runs for this team. So 81 games at home. I'm going to say 270. Two, actually, you know what? 275. Next up from Manuel Gonzalez. Any idea why Iglesias is not using the filthy sidearm slider he had last year? Big difference. And look at the results when he is only a fastball changeup pitcher. 
For the record, his uh, slider percentage is down 7% this year, and his changeup percentage is up 9 yeah, yeah, no, that's not something I've asked about, but I, you know, I will because that is a good question. I do think that he's a strike thrower, and I don't, I don't know a lot about pit, you know, as much as those guys do about pitching, but he's a strike thrower, man. And when you're primarily being a fastball changeup guy, I mean, it's a little, depending on the way the stuff's working, it's a little easier to time up and a little easier to to kind of get on that stuff than that wicked slider. But you know, he he's been touched up for sure lately. From Corey Duttmeyer, with Iglesias struggling in the ninth, do you see them going after Chapman to close games since he has experience? Iglesias seemed to be better in the eighth inning last year. You know, yeah, yeah. No, I think that's I think that's the exact guy I, I mean they would go after. I don't know if they will do it. Like I don't know if, you know, Chapman and and the domestic violence thing would be, you know, an issue there. But I, I think if we're just talking about the player you know himself i i yeah i think that's the exact guy that would go after and here's why like i think alex targeted joe jimenez in the offseason just because just because you know he wanted those two power righties to add another power arm like like chapman yeah i think they would want that especially because joe jimenez hasn't been to this point what they expected him to be you know nick anderson stepped in nicely aj minter looks good but i think to add another power arm, yeah that's that's exactly the guy i think you know, a guy I think they they could add, like the type of player that I think they would add, type of pitcher, um, is a power arm. Just because I, I I just really really think that this year, man, the seller is like, who do you really want? And, and so that's a guy that yeah could help a contending bullpen. And finally, from Joseph Bailey, you prefer Skyline or Gold Star when you're in Cincinnati? And this is chilly for those just joining us. Yeah, neither, neither. That that's not that's not good. Follow up from Jay: the varsity or skyline chili? Ooh, you know we rock with our Atlanta boys, so the varsity. Yeah, but you've been to the varsity, right? I yeah, I've been once. All right, very good. All right, finally, winners of the week. Go ahead. My winner of the week is Matt Olson. For all that everybody's talked Stole about mine. strikeouts, strikeouts, this the you know situational hitting that. Guy's got 25 home runs, tied for the major league lead, as I mentioned earlier. 60 RBIs is tied for second. That's, I mean, that the, the conversation ends there. That is run production. And he is uh, two-thirds of the way to the Triple Crown. Well, homers and RBIs, yeah. that's the most important thing to me. RBIs especially. It doesn't even show up on some stat sheets. You look up there and that, that it's guys are driving in runs are the most important piece of this game. It's, it's not all them other stuff that they talk about it, it, run producers are are big in this game and they always have been and always will be he's only like 170 points behind Arias for the triple crown so he must be doing something right <laughs> that guy is you know what the worst conversation going to baseball right now jay is is that i, I think there's some fans who are like well that's not that impressive because all of them are singles if it wasn't that impressive everybody <laughs> be doing it everybody be hitting at least 340 like you get we don't have time for this, but that guy is incredible. Like, I think he is just a machine. Like, I I love watching him. And you'll get to watch him some uh, this weekend when the Marlins come to town. But do you, do you have a position on uh, on uh, Brian Snitker shoving his uh, hand in the sabermetrics and rooting on RBIs? Nah, I mean, I yeah, like if Matt Olson weren't producing to this rate, like, sure, look at all the other stuff, whatever. But he's a huge run producer and a really good lineup. He has 25 home runs before the break, 25, and could add a couple others. Like, let's not overthink it here. At a certain point, you don't, you don't need much more.
The Braves' record for a single season is, by the way, Andrew Jones, 51. He's the only person to ever hit over 50 homers in Atlanta Braves history. Yeah, and I think Matt Olson was honest today when we asked, you know, we were talking to him, where he was like, yeah, that's unsustainable. Like, all my hits aren't going to be home runs for the rest of the way. Like, that's unsustainable. It's not going to happen. But he's got 25 bombs, 60 RBIs, like, before the break. Again, let's let's not overthink it. It's not like he's having incredible Babbitt luck, you know, all the time here and there. Yeah, he's probably a little more fortunate this year because there's no shift. But, like, he's hitting a lot of balls out, and he's scorching a lot of balls. Like, let's not overthink it. I understand he's got to get the strikeouts down a little bit. I think he understands that, too. But don't overthink it. Like, he's been incredible. You know, we, you know how we tell everybody to you know rate, review, follow, and share the show. Well, some of the reviews are in. Some people have done that, and that's the best way to help. You know, it helps with the algorithm. The more you review, the more ratings we get. Whatever we deserve, it will increase our visibility or it will lower our disability. So Thomas, uh, Thomas Evans wrote this on Apple. Love the show every Monday morning. They have it out early for your commute. Five stars, and that's our goal. We want it there for you when you start your day every Monday. And we got this from Spotify. I love the Braves report. All the hosts work and communicate very well. Very informative. And I love listening to our son, Justin, on the air. Keep up the good work, gentlemen. Joe. Oh, thanks, Dad. No, I, I, yeah, I appreciate that. That one was from my dad, so we can't really take credit for that one. But still, I, I guess, hey. If Justin's dad loves the show, you should love the show. That's right. It's it's kind of like the the everybody's money is like green saying everybody's review counts the same in the Apple rating or like the Google <laughs> rating or whatever. You know what I mean? Everybody's five stars are equal in the algorithm. There you go. All right. So that's it for this edition of the Braves Report. We're here for you every Monday or when major news breaks. So please be like Thomas, be like Joe and rate, review, follow and share. And we'll see you next week on the Braves Report from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. When you're looking for leading cardiac treatment, look to Northside Hospital Heart Institute. We lead with five emergency cardiac care centers, so we're here when you need us most. We lead with more than 55 locations in Georgia. That means we're always in the heart of your neighborhood. We lead with clarity, because clear direction is better when it comes to understanding every step of your treatment. Northside Hospital Heart Institute. We lead with heart. The AJC's trusted veteran political voices, Greg Bluestein, Patricia Murphy, Tia Mitchell, and Bill Nygut are the essential source for Georgia politics. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution's Politically Georgia. Sign up for the newsletter, download the podcast, subscribe to the AJC.